This is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update Podcast. This is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update video and podcast. Today, I'm joined by AMA's president, Dr. Gerald Harmon, a family medicine specialist in Pauley's Island, South Carolina, who's gonna talk about what he learned about therapeutics uh, for COVID-19 in his recent conversation with three physician leaders from the FDA. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Dr. Harmon, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, after uh, this webinar that you had this week, you can understand why there's probably a lot of confusion around therapeutics. We've gone from you know, a period of time when we were very focused on uh, reducing the severe risk of COVID or preventing it through vaccines. Um, we've had new EUAs come through uh, for antivirals at the same time uh, that uh, some uh, monoclonal antibody treatments have taken out of the mix uh, because of their ineffectiveness against the Omicron variant. Um, why don't we just start by talking about as a, a frontline physician, you know, how are you treating uh, your patients with COVID? How do you use therapeutics in your practice and which patients seem to benefit the most from it? Uh, great question, Todd. And I, as you know, I, I learned a lot and had a, a plethora of information provided for me on, on frontline therapeutic options now for the current COVID-19 pandemic. But what I really do, and I, I bet most doctors do this too, and we, we, we ask this uh, consideration, I consider each case as an individual. It's a, it, that's where the doctor-patient relationship is critical. And so I consider each individual with their risk factors. If they have an acute COVID infection, they, I've had a couple call me already today about being positive. What therapeutics should we exercise? And, and so we try to make uh, an isolated judgment for each one appropriately, okay? And we do have risk factors and considerations, whether they're vaccinated fully, whether they're under-vaccinated, uh, unvaccinated at all, their comorbid conditions, age, obesity, chronic disease, um, things like that, immuno, uh, uh, immune compromise. So I really have a very candid conversation with the patient and, and they, uh, we discuss whether it's an oral agent, an IV agent, whether it's a, a, a need for further evaluation with testing, maybe a hospital or emergency room to visit or acute office visit. And I have a candid conversation, but it really comes down to me giving them advice. I don't want to burden them with making the sole decision. I have shared decision-making, but I tell them here's, and they're asking me, what do you advise Dr. Harmon? So here's my advice. And based upon their individual risk factors, availability of the treatment options, I'll make a, a recommendation. I know that's a roundabout way, but I'll decide whether they need a prescription for an oral agent, whether they need to go get an IV monoclonal antibody, whether they need to go get remdesivir in the emergency department at the hospital over a three-day course. All those are in my armamentarium now. And again, the question might be, and we'll answer later in this conversation, the availability of either any of those options. Well, I think uh, we're going to focus on one of the words that you just said in that, which is availability. You know, you go through uh, that decision-making pro process that you talked about, and then it comes down to like, we're in a serious, you know, short supply situation with some of these treatments. So n now how do you deal with that situation? Well, you nailed it is, again, and I alluded to it in my comments, it depends on what's available, which is interesting. You know, among the uh, the therapeutic options that are available right now, I've, uh, we, uh, my, my tightest local issue right now is with IV monoclonal antibody, uh, sertrovimab. I, uh, I, I'm really having a little more trouble getting sertrovimab for my eligible patients than I am for some of the, believe it or not, the oral agents or the IV remdesivir. 
uh, right now. So the Citrova map is probably my biggest challenge. I'll tell you what's interesting too, as far as availability, I've had a couple of local pharmacies in our counties here have uh, their oral agents, uh, Molnupiravir and uh, Paxlovid have been available in limited quantities. So I've been very pleasantly surprised on their availability. That's good news. Um, I'm assuming, but let's let's talk about you know the longer term uh, outlook for supply of these particular uh, uh, you know uh, treatments. What's what's the word from the FDA? Well, what they it was interesting when we heard uh, Dr. Farley and his colleagues from the FDA uh, in our recent uh, webinar with them. They suggested that they know that it's been a difficult winter. They know, they recognize there's been supply chain issues for therapeutics, no question. And we do know that the Omicron variant had some resistance uh, to previous treatments and are, uh, was able to elude some antibody responsiveness, no question. They told us, and I heard this loud and clear from them, they're working to improve the supply of the monoclonal antibody, uh, citrivimab. They're working to improve the supply of uh, um, Pavlovid and Monopiravir, uh, and, and they mentioned as early as the spring, and I'm thinking, well, gee, that's pretty far in the future, but if you think about spring, it's that's a really couple months away. <laughs> We're only a month or so away from it, so it's not as grim or as dark mm. as you might think about it, and, and there's one other treatment option that's in there, and he mentioned it too, I believe, and that's remdesivir is now an uh, ambulatory treatment option too, when before it was inpatient only, so there are, yeah, there's some supply chain issues, but the future's looking better, I, I have to say that. Well, one of the issues that you discussed is, you know, is around this kind of time frame when uh, physicians needed to prescribe many of these treatments. I know just anecdotally, when I talk to people who've had COVID, you know, they spend the first couple of days thinking, blaming on allergies or something else like that. And that's precious time, you know, that goes by because you need to really move in that early course of the illness. Can you, you know, address, um, you know, how you deal with that situation, what advice you would have uh, for yeah. other physicians? Todd, you nailed that too. I mean, uh, clearly you've been involved with this well it, it, as a, a journalist and an experience, chief experience officer. You've experienced this and heard it from other doctors. You're right. Uh, the, the oral agents, uh, the antivirals, have a five-day window when they're most effective. And then once you diagnose that window, once you make the diagnosis, whether it's symptom onset and then positive test indicating that you've got the disease and allows us to prescribe it, you've got five days of treatment that you begin too. So there's a very brief window for that uh, anti-COVID uh, treatment. Then there's a little longer treatment window for the monoclonal antibodies. You have 10 days from either the symptom onset or the date of the positive uh, uh, test. So that gives us a 10-day window. And uh, then the, uh, it, we don't really have a, a definite window for remdesivir, which is the IV uh, ambulatory treatment that's now given over three days. However, all those numbers can kind of fly around in the primary care physician's head and the treating doctor's head. All right, I got five days here, then I've got seven days of treatment or seven days I can use it in, 10 days. And it has changed. Originally, the remdesivir was a 10-day uh, course, then it was shortened to a seven or a five-day inpatient course. Now it's only a three-day outpatient course. And then if you get the five-day window to treat the oral antivirals, molnupiravir and our uh, 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 pavlovid, then you've got a five-day treatment on top of a five-day diagnostic window. It can get a little confusing uh, and you have to kind of think it through. So those, what I find myself doing when I deal with my patients, and forgive me if it may sound kind of uh, uh, dull and boring, but I have an oral conversation. I have a kind of a thinking out loud conversation with a patient and we use that so that they can be a little informed of what might be available. And I kind of talk it through in a thought experiment 
what would be the most available, most appropriate. All those options, however, are beneficial. So that's a good sign or a good thing for me. Medicine doesn't stand still and neither do we. AMA members don't just keep up with medicine, they shape its future. Help move medicine, join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. I like that idea of kind of enrolling uh, the patient along with you in that kind of decision-making process. Process, Obviously, you're equipped uh, with a lot more data, and they did go into a great level of detail, and I encourage everybody out there you know, to check out this webinar on our YouTube channel, but let's talk about that because we won't go into detail about the data they shared on the therapeutics, but you know, what do you learn, and how does that affect how you think about using these therapeutics with your patients? Yeah, it does, and the, you're right, Todd, and you, you, again, I found that the therapeutic options I can get a little comfortable with, but they're so varied and they are uh, dynamic, as it were. They're not changing just for the sake of confusion. They're changing because the data indicates the treatment options might be improved. So that's what we do. We wind up, and, and that's why my uh, thought experiment each time on each individual case allows me to discuss it, the logistics of access. Does the patient have a ride to get the monoclonal antibodies? Because they can't, I can't just call that into the pharmacy. They're going to have to be scheduled for the citrivimab if we have it in stock. Uh, do they have, uh, uh, with their insurance, believe it or not, cover the oral agent? Because not all oral agents might cover it. You have to make, or be covered by the particular insurance plan. Uh, do they need to go to the emergency room? Are they a little bit higher risk where I'm really worried not so much about um, the oral agent as I think perhaps in the sicker patient population, I have uh, experience with remdesivir. And now that we can do that in an ambulatory setting, I might suggest that if they can have an opportunity to get logistically to there. A, a huge variety of treatment options available and logistics are probably best handled by the local provider. Anything about, you know, benefits and risks that you learned from the conversation? You know, I really did. I, I learned that uh, in all cases, the benefit is, is far, by getting all these treatments, just like getting the, the vaccines, the benefit is far better to get the available prevention and our treatment than it is to get the disease and be subjected to the whims of the virus and what part of its organ system it attacks, what the long COVID virus syndrome might entail. So in every situation, the benefit of treatment and or vaccination well outweighs the, outweighs the risk. So that's not a, not a concern there too. I, uh, and I have personal experience uh, having been a frontline provider now for almost two years. I know that the, the, the side effects for these treatments are, are very negligible. The IV monoclonals before sertrovimab were well-received, well-effective, and had a high effective rate against prevention of uh, advanced disease and particularly hospitalization or death. I also know that um, uh, the remdesivir, the IV antiviral that we're using in the hospital for uh, the better part of the treatment uh, the last two years has been very safe and effective. And I'm getting to get some confidence now. Clearly, I have less experience with the oral antivirals, all right? I don't know. Uh, how they're going to work. I get the, the data from the experts. They explain that they are very safe with a little bit of drug interactions you have to concern yourself with, but I have pretty good confidence in all of them. Dr. Harmon, I'm curious, when you're talking with your patients uh, about these treatments, is there less resistance than, say, they might have had to vaccines? Well, it's interesting you bring that up. I, I find it fascinating that they seem to be much more receptive of treatments, Todd. In my personal experience with my vaccines, they and they had some hesitation, perhaps, for vaccines. It, it's interesting when I, when they call me up, they say, "Hey, I've just tested positive with a home test, or I've gone to the lake, local uh, urgent care center, or maybe even uh, uh, one of the other ambulatory practices in our practices." They, I'm positive. So what do I want to do? And they're anxious to receive a treatment. 
it's fascinating how there is lower resistance and, and uh, a better acceptance of the various antivirals, even though they're relatively new, surely, uh, versus the resistance sometimes to get the vaccination, which has been very effective, been around for over a year now. So yeah, it is a little bit of a, a change in approach. Some, someday we'll be able to unlock the mysteries of the mind and the interpretation of these uh, various alternatives. Um, but we're still learning. I'm uh, speaking of learning. Anything else that you found particularly surprising from your conversation with these folks from the FDA? You know, what I found surprising is they were pretty confident that they're, they're moving in the right direction. They have good confidence in their processes, their research, their development. And uh, they struck me as being uh, not just trying to answer in a matter of fact, but in a very positive way, they're, uh, they're, they're very comfortable. Their, their science, their development process is making available very effective therapeutic options. And I like, y'all know, I like their optimism. I like their engagement and I like their candor when they discussed the safety, the viability and the efficacy of their treatment options. So I was, I don't know that I was surprised, but I was, uh, encouraged by the positivity and the uh, expertise that um, my colleagues at the FDA manifest in our webinar. That's good because we we need optimism and good news. I think where we are right now in this, and you know, speaking of which, I thought you closed on something I found personally very inspiring, and you talked about the power of science and medicine, and you thanked all your physician colleagues for the many roles that they played throughout this pandemic. How do, you, how do you think history is gonna look at this pandemic in terms of medical innovation and advancement? Well, you know, Todd, uh, I'll tell you, my, one of my biggest takeaways uh, for the, the entire meeting was that we have great therapeutic options, great therapeutic options. But one of my biggest takeaways, and if we look back in history, is that all these treatment options are, are like, look, we're looking for silver bullets still. Okay, a lot of my patients, they, you mentioned, are they resistant or are they have lowered resistance to taking these treatments? They're hoping these things are silver bullets so that they can shoot the monster, you know, the, the coronavirus monster. What I think is the best protection shows that we, we don't need to wait on the silver bullets. We need to protect ourselves from being attacked by the monster. Hmm. So we need vaccinations. That's what I would tell you. So my biggest takeaway is even those are great therapeutic options, highly effective, they're still not silver bullets. We need to get vaccinated, need to build our prevention uh, together. I think history is going to say that the science of medicine power uh, in this COVID pandemic is going to be reinforced. We're going to have some uh, 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 unprecedented innovation now as a result, the silver linings, uh, using another analogy to the cloud, we're going to have silver linings. We have now developed new immunotherapies. We developed new vaccine development technology using messenger RNA and other new innovative uh, virus uh, vaccine delivery mechanisms. We have an expanded use of messenger RNA and antivirals for other disease states. We're gonna use telehealth, telemedicine, digital medicine. We're gonna improve our public health infrastructure. We're gonna be better as a nation, not only for this pandemic, but for the next pandemic. And one of the other, other things that I can talk about with some confidence here is that although we had pre-existing healthcare disparities and we knew there were healthcare disparities, now we have really seen the need for that and emphasize the need for addressing health disparities. And I think that's gonna be much improved and seriously addressed in the future. So I think the history will look back on the AMA, on organized medicine, on the public health infrastructure is being critically needed, critically innovative, and very uh, uh, energized going forward to address the next pandemic. And resilient uh, under two years of trauma. Uh, 
So thank you to uh, thank you, Dr. Harmon, for being here today, and to all your colleagues. And a huge and heartfelt shout out to the folks at the FDA uh, that joined us and all of their colleagues for the work that they continue to do to bring this pandemic to a close. Uh, we covered a lot of material in the webinar. If you didn't have a chance to visit it, you can still find that. Um, by uh, looking at the information uh, in this video uh, or checking out the AMA YouTube site and uh, finding this What Physicians Need to Know series of webinars. We'll be back soon with another COVID-19 update. Thanks for joining us today and please take care. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.